Hello, and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. This week, we're talking about how important it is that a game feels like it has a publisher or community support to stay relevant. From dead trading card games to board games that have an expansion a year, how important is it for a game to feel supported for us to want to play it? Do games die? Or is it just that some games die? But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Wentworth, and the gifted games in Grace Lake. Also, welcome to our newest patron, Courtney Falk, who's also in our audience, always reliably here sewing away <laughs> and a huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well if you would like to be part of our live audience check us out tabletopgametalk.com slash live every monday at 8 30 central time typically except for last week which was memorial day because stuff um hi how you guys doing good hello Excellent. Tabletop game. We already did that part. (laughs) (laughs) We saw each other in person this weekend. All three of us in the same room for the first time. You guys have legs, it turns out. And like, yeah, a year and a half. (laughs) Who knew? And Fletcher's legs are looking good, let me tell you. He's like, I have to go run. And yeah, just I don't know why he doesn't wear pants, but. Still, if I had legs like that, I might choose not to, too. Uh, For the record, I was wearing shorts. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. No, my daughter turned one. Uh, actually, technically today. Today is Monday, 830 Central Time. Uh, but we had the birthday party yesterday. And sh- we had people over and you guys both showed up. And it was awesome. And we did not play board games because it was a one-year-old birthday party. And we had kids running around. But, yes, all children um, were present. All children were present. They actually played really, really well together, too. They just kind of like yeah. shut themselves off into the playroom and were like, okay, just back away slowly and let that happen. Shocking because my child had to be dragged kicking and screaming out of the church to the point that the priest of my church said something like, uh-huh, I wish the Holy Spirit would give us all such energy as he <laughs> threw a complete gigantic fit. Um, but it turned out he just needed to be fed, and he ate his own body weight in McDonald's on the way up to your house, and he was fine. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> he was just hangry. Yes. He really, and really was. There's really little worse than a hangry toddler, because they won't tell you they're hungry. Mm-mm. They just tell you they hate you, and they hate everything, and they don't want anything. <laughs> and if you get close of them, you're going to get flailed on. And it's not intentional. They just no, really want to hit. No, it's just a general and- flail at the universe they want to hit everything not you (laughs) get out of my way if you don't want to get hit that's the moral of the story yeah so yeah becca's one now uh she is very mobile and very much i have to re-house proof house proof baby proof my house and i can't put up baby gates because zachary can't get through the baby gates so I'm taking large foam blocks and sticking them in doorways that can hold out one of the children and let the other child like climb over it. It's good times. Also, he's doing pretty good at the potty training thing. Had an interesting accident today. We won't cover that because this is a, <laughs> a, you know a podcast about games. <laughs> and yeah. So speaking of games, um, just full disclosure, I am doing fantasy football 
this season, and Monday nights is when we record, and every once in a while, the Monday night game is very important to me. Tonight is one of those games. So it is on to the side, but off. So if you hear me disclaim something out of nowhere, don't worry about it. It's totally fine. It's just fantasy football. What are you disclaiming? Um, It could be a positive disclaimer or a negative disclaimer, and I'm going to use the word disclaim because, you know, it's a complicated. But... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. I know, right? Uh, Gen Going Con back to the is rest shopping. What you think it means. <laughs> yes. Well, Kitty's always doing something on the internet. That you is can't stop me. Re- I, I can't. can't keep I me out of the internet. It's like playing D and D online. I think you're paying attention until I ask you something, and they're like, "What? Huh? I was, uh, uh, yeah. Here's a meme." And I'm like, "Wait, stop distracting me with hamsters." Um, I think this is a true story, by the way. So, Gen Con is this week. It definitely feels a little familiar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and nobody I know is going to Gen Con except for me, including my wife and kids who were going to come with me and my mother. Um, but last minute today, we decided that due to, well, not necessarily due to COVID, but tangentially related. The fact that there's nobody else going. Sydney's like, why don't I just stay here with the kids and your mom and then you can go to Gen Con? And I'm like, yeah, that does make rational sense. That so, does make my life a lot easier. So yes, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think that's probably <laughs> all right. I accept. <laughs> so I will be at Gen Con still. Um, but I won't have anyone else with me. So if you're going to Gen Con and want to meet up for a game, Shoot me an email, put Gen Con in the subject line so that I don't ignore it for a week. And yeah, we'll find a time to meet up. So that's Gen Con. Uh, besides my wonderful daughter's birthday party, what have you guys been up to? It's been two weeks since we've recorded. I went to another first birthday party as well that weekend. There's like everyone's just turning one. That's been my Pandemic life. Babies. Um, and then I actually think all of these babies would have been pre-pandemic, but um, don't really want to think about that too hard. Can so see, moving on. Only can see pre-pandemic. <laughs> they were all born during the pandemic, including yours. I was going to say mine was born during the pandemic, but definitely yep. not. At, like to me, a pandemic, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get into this. I don't want to play this game. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, what else have I been doing this week? Um Shopping for dresses for weddings. First, I checked everyone I know's closet. Um, <laughs> That's the best kind of shopping. Yeah, it's a fun one. Um, so I'm ready for the... Because uh, I have two weddings coming up as well. I had two first birthdays. Now I've got two weddings. So I'm set for the one for this weekend. I fa- I'm wearing the dress my mom wore to my sister's wedding. So all set there. But still still looking. Yeah, I got my, f- my tux measurements for Fletcher's wedding with three days to spare. Had I put it off for one more week, they would said, yeah, we won't be able to get you a tux in time for the wedding. I'm like, ooh, good thing that I felt guilty and did this sooner than later. Otherwise, you know, um, yeah, this is a tux. Honest. No, it's not. It's just a cheap suit. <laughs> Fine. Whatever. So, no, but I'm really looking forward to it. We're actually, we got a babysitter to come up for the weekend. So, well, for Friday and Saturday so that we can stay in the city for Fletcher's wedding and not have to leave from Friday, Saturday and come back Sunday. Oh, you're actually going to stay in the city? Yeah, we're going to find, because I think we're going to be down there Friday night. I'm like, why well, come back? We can just hang out there Saturday. And then we want to do brunch on Sunday with you guys. So it's like, yeah, let's just get a hotel for the for the weekend and hang out downtown and pretend like we don't have kids. It'll be fun. Nice. 
But uh, yeah. So in other news, that's my segue to the actual topic. <laughs> um, there was an email. We had an email from JTT, um, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Apparently not the Jonathan Taylor Thomas. And I'm pretty sure his middle name is not Taylor. A. But <laughs> <laughs> it's A, JTT. Um, and I'm going to read his email because it summarizes it quite well. I was going to read the uh, F uh, Fantasy Flight Games announcement, but uh, I'll just do this. Today, FFG announced that Keyforge would be going on hiatus due to the pandemic and a broken algorithm, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, I immediately thought of Chris and how much he talks about the game and how much his wife, Sydney, plays it. This made me think of a bunch of questions for Chris. Therefore, it's the topic of the show. What effect, if any, do you think Keyforge's recent announcement will have on the game's life cycle going forward? Do you see it coming back, or will it this temporary hiatus become more of a permanent vacation? And does this impact you or your wife's enjoyment of the game? Now, we're not just going to talk about Keyforge. Keyforge is going to certainly come up. We are going to talk about support for games. And when that support goes away, how common it is for the game to just lose relevance. And I think between the three of us, we have a good cross-section of how much we care if the publisher's actively supporting the game or not. So I'm just going to... Actually, uh, Fletcher or Kitty, have you guys heard of this news about Keyforge? Or is this the first time you're hearing about it? This is the first time hearing. Okay. So, Kitty, you've played Keyforge. Fletcher, you've played Keyforge. Kitty, what do you think about the fact? And well, I'm gonna have to ask one of you, otherwise you both talk at the same time, and that makes for bad podcasting. So, Kitty, <laughs> what does this news like? How does this affect you? Keyforge is going on hiatus. The algorithm for generating new decks no longer works. Thoughts? Um, not terribly surprised. I feel like it was not getting. You know, it, it's been a slow descend into not getting a lot of support. Um, and yeah, I, it's sort of bummed, but I had sort of fallen off playing before it was cool to fall off of playing Keyforge because I had a baby before the pandemic. <laughs> so, you know, I only liked it. Uh, so does it, uh, yeah. so it doesn't really it affect me all that much. <laughs> yep. So does it give you kind of an excuse for, well, I felt bad for not playing Keyforge before because I liked the game, but now that they're no longer making the game now i don't feel bad anymore because it's not a current game um it actually makes it feel like if it would come back it might give me a good like jump back in point like now i kind of have like a chance that like oh maybe i could catch back up all right fletcher your thoughts on this well um i don't think i've played keyforge in over a year and I guess I'm just a little bit sad that a game that was kind of cool is seeming to go on hiatus. And, you know, you guys liked it. And I don't know. That's basically my feelings. It won't affect me at all. But it seemed like a cool concept. And, you know, so, it's dying. Yep. So for the rest of the story on Keyforge, um, because it is a hiatus, it's not a cancellation. And they have canceled games in the past. And we'll talk about a few of those um, as well. They do plan on coming back. They have shown the next set that will be part of coming back. And they are in talks with 
which is not necessarily promising, but at least it's better news than what we've got in the past, of having a digital client, so an online version of the game, done by the same developers that have done Magic Arena, which is the Magic the Gathering online game, which is actually fantastic. So every hope is that they're coming back. Uh, There was one of the developers did post a little bit more information of why the algorithm is broken. Because if you are a software developer, you should be like, that makes no sense. And if you're not a software developer, you should be like, well, that sounds bad. And it is. Um, But an algorithm is just a program. And you can't really break a program that you can't just fix. It's called bugs. Every piece of software has bugs. You just go fix them. But apparently what happened was they lost a significant portion of their database. And what you have to, yeah, you have to assume that the backups, that's, that's just a data loss. That's just data loss. And, but I mean, the algorithm is broken without the data. So that is a concern. And if you're in the IT field, you're like, wait, wait, weren't they doing backups? And the thing is, they probably were. The problem with backups is you don't know they're broken until you need them. Because there's not like a routine I'm going to check every week to make sure the backup worked test. Uh, so, yeah. So, that's basically what happened there. So, it could come back. And I I am hopeful that Kitty's vision of when it comes back, it'll actually revitalize the game. The pandemic has caused all kinds of shipping delays, timing delays, all kinds of things broken because of it. I think taking a break and coming back and saying, okay, here's the relaunch with a digital client could really push life back into the game. Yeah, so. my, that, that's like the hopeful <laughs> way to think about it, I think. Yep. So um, in the meantime, uh, everyone should check out a Kickstarter, Soulforge, uh, Soulforge Fusion specifically, which is another game done by Richard Garfield, which is a, another uni- unique deck game done by Richard Garfield, which gives half decks. So they're unique half decks, and you shuffle any two half decks together to create your full deck. Um, I played Soulforge in 2013. It was actually the original Kickstarter, a digital-only client. And so now a lot of people are looking to that to be like the next unique deck game. So if you're curious about, you know, you like the model of Keyforge, but you want a little bit of customization, uh, Soulforge seems to be a pretty good alternative at the moment it's ugly as all get out i really hope they update it from the nine years ago graphics graphic design they're using um (laughs) but they say they might so i'm I'm hopeful but let's talk about the broader subject how important is it to you fletcher that a game you play feels like it has support from the publisher or the community i think that's the question question mark (laughs) (laughs) It depends on the type of game. Like, if, you know, Wizards never updated D&D ever again, you know, I could probably just be happy. You know what I mean? Like, because there's enough variation there and there's enough kind of, like, build-it-yourself and customization that I'd probably be happy with D&D as in its current state for, you know, as long as I live. Um, but in a game that's, you know, more like Keyforge or Magic... You know, without regular updates, the kind the game I think kind of just gets um, solved in a way, and you probably just have less fun with it after that after that point. So you need f- you know fresh infusions of updates to to keep things interesting. 
Um, and, you know, same thing goes with, like, other board games. If you just buy, like, a standard board game, you know, Monopoly, Terraforming Mars, whatever, you don't necessarily need, like, new updates every couple of years, like, new expansions. You can just be happy with that game. But I think games like Keyforge, they do need those regular updates to stay fresh and interesting. Kitty, rebuttal? Thoughts? Agreements? <laughs> Um, I think that's uh, a pretty good point for most gamers. Um, I think that you you don't need to update kind of the like standalone big games. Um, and honestly, I feel like sometimes you can get caught in the trap of there's too much. There's too many expansions. There's too much going on. I feel like I can't catch up. I feel like there, uh, this is way too much stuff. I can't get into this because it's it's too much is the opposite side of that. Like, you know, are are they keeping it up to date or are they flooding the market, inundating me with a impossibility of so much game I can't comprehend it? Like Arkham Horror? horror? Yes. So. Like almost anything Fantasy Flight Games makes, <laughs> to be honest. So I am going to... I want to agree with both of you, but you're both wrong, so I can't. Obviously. And <laughs> so in 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 theory, I want to agree. I want to agree that fifth edition DD is a great game. Really like that game. And uh, in theory and in practice. And in practice. It it is it is a great game. But if suddenly people stopped talking about it, if suddenly there stopped being new material for it, the interest in the game in the general population would wane. We know this happens. Otherwise, you know, second edition would still be going. And I know that there are people out there are telling me, I still play second edition. Yes, you do. You're one of like a small handful of people that play it. Why? Because everyone else is playing the new hot. And that's just what we do, right? We look at the what is currently new and what is currently being played and done. And that becomes interesting to us. So if 5th edition stopped being supported by Wizards of the Coast, we would stop being interested in it over time. And maybe not an individual person, but the collective we would. Mm -hmm. Terraforming Mars is a great example of a game that didn't need a whole bunch of expansions, except for one. Prelude is kind of a required expansion. I think most people agree with that. Why did they release so many? To keep the game front and center. To keep it relevant to keep it going i mean they sold a giant box for a hundred dollars because <laughs> hey because we sold you all this other stuff and you bought it <laughs> so i think that having that active release is very very important and when you look at games that don't and even outside of the card game realm if you look at board games that don't have expansions they don't have new content coming out for them those games quickly fall out of the public sphere and they're still great games the games haven't changed we just don't think of them anymore because they're not actively supported and it's i don't want that to be true but there's very few games where the one game you can just sell forever fletcher you mentioned monopoly monopoly hasn't changed all that much over the last i don't know what 70 years but Every single day, almost, a new version of Monopoly comes out. <laughs> yeah. Why do they do that? <laughs> right? It's just to they keep can't that be name. And it's slightly <laughs> different. Yeah. 
is to keep it relevant. I need my it's Chicago version. But not only that, yeah. I need my Wrigleyville version, right? Like, yeah. there's a yes. zillion, and I'm not even being facetious about that. There's literally, a, like, Chicago and then 18 different versions of neighborhood Chicago Monopoly games. I think there's something to it. Um, the Star Wars living card game. I love that game. And they announced it was, like, the last thing. That's it. It was over. It was done. Uh, most people did not like the Star Wars game, but Netrunner, everybody loved that game. And well, anyone who played it loved that game. And when they announced that that game was coming to an end, there was the demand went through the roof for it because, oh no, I can't get it anymore. And now I'm pretty sure there's a fan made community around Netrunner to keep it going. But that's why it's going is because the fans decided to pick it up and keep running with it. I, I, and I get sucked into this. I think like Marvel Champions, I don't even like this game. I could like it, maybe. I own everything for it. But as soon as they stop making stuff for it, I'm going to be feel relieved. Like, oh, great. Finally, I don't have to keep up with this game anymore. <laughs> and I can stop thinking about it. Like, why is this? All right. Ready? Analyze me. Why does your rampant consumerism never change? Is that, is no, that the it's question? Not just, yeah. It's not what just mine. It's everybody's. <laughs> it's not everybody's. The, I would say that there are many gamers out there who do not identify at all with what you were saying. There are, sure, tons that are on your side, but there are so many people out there who are like, oh, yeah, I've got my, like, 10 games that just sit on my shelf, and these are the games that I play. And, I, you know, it takes me a while to decide if I want to put a new game into my collection and rotation. I've got to think about my gaming group. I've got to make this decision carefully. That is not you. But it is someone. There are many people out there who that is their experience. So, um, yeah, you are, like, the target audience of all of this kind of stuff where they're banking on fear of missing out. Um, I agree with you, except I don't think it's fear of missing out. I think it's um, relevancy bias. And that's a term I just made up. <laughs> But if you're in yeah, the cult describe of describe relevancy bias. Well, Define if it. you're in the if you're in the cult of the new, how relevant a game is right now is how much you want to play that game. If everyone's talking about it, you want to be part of it. If nobody's talking about it, it doesn't exist. If your game got delayed in shipping for two months, and by the time it shows up on your doorstep, that game that you couldn't wait to play is no longer being talked about, you're like, eh, whatever. I'll just leave it in shrink. That's relevancy bias. I only want to play this. I just watched a YouTube video on like top 10 um, solo card games. And one of the games that I've had sitting on my shelf in the back room on the list of giveaway games, which I'm probably going to take off tonight, was on this top 10 thing. And this top 10 thing just came out last week. And I'm like, oh, I have this game. Oh, someone's talking about it. Now this game is suddenly important to me and I can't possibly give it away. That's relevancy bias. So, I mean, I, I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> you have to stay relevant. I think um, once again, you know, this is all Kickstarter's fault. Um, I think it's BGG and the hotness. Um, I think there's just you're also in the minority. I no, don't that know is... if they are a minority in this yeah. hobby. Yeah. So it's I will say yes and no. So if you take the so hobby, you're, you're in the minority of for people who play board games, not necessarily in the in the hobby, but for people who play board games, you are in the minority. Yes, if if for board games, I agree with you. 
For card games, I am not. For card games, if you play living card games, any kind of dueling card game, and you are into it in a way where you enjoy dueling card games, that is just your mindset. When a game dies, unless, again, you are part of the fan community that goes along with that death, um, you the game's over. Ashes is a great example. Ashes Rise of the Phoenixborn. There's a certain fan base that really, really liked it. The game died. They stopped releasing content. People stopped playing about it, playing it, stopped talking about it, stopped being a part of it. When it came back, the resurgence of people who were playing it, like, I don't know what the number is. I'm going to make it up. But it was a hundred times more <laughs> than the people who were playing it before. And why? Because it's now being supported again. And that's important in those types of games, in, th- in the collectible card game realm. In the board okay, game so realm, I think you said something it's very, different. very important right there. Collectible. Yeah. Yes. If we are yeah. if we are narrowing it down <laughs> to not all board games, just to collectible card games, they are collectible. That is the whole point. They are all looking at the success of Magic the Gathering and trying to catch that same feeling of, yeah, but you have to keep it new. And, you know, there's a whole really good episode on, was it Planet Money did this, where they talk about the economics of how Magic the Gathering was successful about this and like the economic principles of how they have this market hooked and these people are just going to keep playing these games and keep paying for the cards. And if you're interested in that, stop listening here, go listen to that and come back <laughs> because it's great. And, and that's it. It's, it's all yeah. economics and they've got you hooked in this. I have to collect it. I have to be buying the most recent thing to play this game at a competitive level, there are people who are very competitive at this, and they limit which cards you can play. You have to be in, I think it's like the newest few seasons or whatever they call them, to play at the competitive level. If you want to be part of tournaments, you have to have the new stuff. So I agree with you on all of that, 100%. And Terrence actually brings up a good point, too. With no new releases, there's no organized play. And there's no mm-hmm. hype around it. So you don't, you know, people are just like, what's the new hot, right? What does have organized play? What is having new releases? The other thing apart it, about it is cards get, card games get stale when you just have the same cards over and over, especially for a deck building game. And I would argue even for board games that are card based, where you have, you know, some manipulation in how those cards go together, eventually you get bored with the combinations. Like, all right. I've done everything there is to do. What's the next thing for me to do? Uh, So, yes, I agree with that. But I do also think there's something to board games and expansions. Because it is easy for me to get a new board game, play it, play it a few times, like it, and put it on the shelf. What's an excuse for me to bring it down again? It's a great game. Awesome. Let's go play that game. Except there's so many other games to play. But if you release a new expansion to that board game, that is most likely going to get me to pull it off the shelf so I can try out the new expansion. It It's not just card games, but it's 80% card games. I, I, think, you, I think you have the cause and effect reversed here. You think so? <laughs> They're not trying to get you to play the game more. They're trying to sell more IP and, you know, buy get the consumer to buy more stuff. Because the intended consumer is like, you like this, ge- you like this game. 
um, you know, they continue to play it. They don't have a hundred other games on the shelf. They might have a few others, but they continue to play this game and like, oh, expansion came out for this game. I like this game. I'm going to buy the expansion. They want to get money, not so, make not make the game to the table. I So again, this is a situation where I agree with you. We're both right. People in my mindset <laughs> where it's like, I have too many games, so I need an excuse to play one. The expansion is an excuse to play one. But yes, the people who are like, I'm going to play Terraforming Mars no matter what. I love that game. I'm going to play it. And if an expansion comes out, I will also get that. And maybe I'll add it in or maybe I won't. For me, I'm like, I got Terraforming Mars. I don't like this game. It's crap. Not that it's crap as a game. It's just too long for what it is. And it's ugly to look at. And I don't want it on my table. Oh, look, a new expansion for Terraforming Mars. Okay, I'll try it again. I want it on my iPad. (laughs) I I bought it on my iPad. Um, But that does happen. Like, it does happen where... If you have too many games, and I understand that those of us that have, you know, in the hundreds of board games sitting on our shelves, we have too many games. You can't play those games. But an expansion does make it relevant to pull it off the shelf again. Like, I'm going to pull down that game if there's a new expansion for it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I haven't even thought about this game in forever. But yeah, let me try this game out again because now I have this expansion. Kitty, you I mean, were I think say your something. collectible card game argument was better. <laughs> well, I mean, um, you know, it's different. That it's, one's an obvious one, yeah. Yeah. So, I think you know what all what you're talking about is like buzz or hype. You know, you, you the more people are talking about things, the more people are buying them, and the you know having something new is going to have it talked about, and. I think, I don't know, um, I, I don't know if this same model that works for collectible card games, that works for, you know, originally we call them trading card games, but no one ever trades these cards. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the collectible card game model does not apply to board games as a whole. It is completely different. And I think the organized play aspect is where the key difference is. And I do think that the dead games you hear about are games that were collectible card games that stopped being supported and they stopped organizing play for them. There's no official organized play leagues. There's nothing going on like that. Um, and there, there's so much meta to those games. The game is not playing the game. The game is getting ready to play the game. And if you don't have new things to add into that meta, there's less fun of the game. Well, we solved it. So now we have the solution. So what is the point of the game? The meta is the game. And if you're not feeding the meta, there is no more game. So I, again, 100% agree with you, especially the dead game comment. The The games you hear about that are dead are the collectible card games. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the things that's like, these are dead card games. Um and collectible card games, or the original term, trading card games, I think are the new term because they sound less like you're trying to collect everything. It's just, it's the exact same thing. I it thought it was the opposite. Friendly. I don't know. Uh, they I mean the exact same thing. Like, yeah, they're the same thing. But yeah, whatever's least offensive to you Pokemon. is the one they want you to use. <laughs> Pokemon was always called a trading card game. They wanted kids to go trade their cards, but then parents got involved. They're like, no, these are valuable. Yeah, well, that's why they put colored symbols on them these days. So you can be like, this symbol, (laughs) you don't trade away for that symbol. Stop it. (laughs) But I think a lot of the games, like board games, die silently. 
they're released, they have hype, and then you never hear about them again. And thousands of board games every year will go through that hype cycle of like, this seems really cool and interesting, and then disappear. And there's very few games that actually break through to year after year. And most of those games have expansions. Most of those games are still supported by the publisher. And most importantly, most of those games are still seeing print runs. Once a game stops being printed, it's dead. Yeah. So I don't know if those are dead, though, or if they're just unpopular. Like, you know, a popular game, like, you know, it's two sides of the same coin. You know, a popular game gets the attention, gets the expansions because they know they'll sell. An unpopular game won't because the first, like, we're not going to try to keep supporting something that wasn't popular the first time around. It's like, you know, if you publish a book and call it book one in the series, you expect there to be more books. But if you just publish a standalone book and it's really good, you know, everyone might expect another book from that same author, but they're not the same. Actually, (laughs) I think that's an amazing, amazing point that I can use against you. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I publish a book. I'm I'm Joe Author. And Joe Author, best-selling standalone book. Puts it on the shelf. It's at front and center at Barnes & Noble, New York Best Time Seller. Everyone's looking at this book. Everyone's talking about it. It's the most amazing book ever. Awesome. New York Next, Best Times. New York Best Times. <laughs> Next year. <laughs> I the Best Times it. is New York. <laughs> Next year. This book doesn't I'm sell the anymore. In chief of the New York Best Times. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next year that book is no longer on the bestsellers list. Right, but, like you know, but, nobody like buried it in their backyard. There are still no, people who no. like that book who have Agree it on their shelves. You. It's in libraries. Agree with you. Agree with you. The book still exists. I'm not saying it doesn't. But now, so that was Joe author. Now, Jim Johnson, he publishes book one. In the series of Johnson's epic old Johnsonness, and book two comes what? out the next year, and nobody heard of book one. But book two is like, wait a minute, I'm hearing a lot of buzz about this. Now I'm going to go back and buy book one so I can read book two. And book three comes out, and wait a minute, I've never heard about either one or two. You want to know why I know this is true? Because I didn't start reading Harry Potter until the fourth book came out. And you know what I did? I went out and bought the first, second, and third books before I read the fourth book. The series makes the books relevant and keeps them relevant for as long as those series are relevant. That's why these series are the kind of the main way. You you do trilogies of books. You don't do single books typically. Many people do single books and have bestseller single, single books, books and they continue selling. Like, sure, you know, it's... But I don't know, like, there's so many series out there, too, that, like, people, ugh, another one of these books. I don't want to play this anymore. Or I don't want to read this anymore. <laughs> well, I'm not saying you anymore. can't overstay your welcome. Whatever it is. Um, yeah. So, but there's also books, you know, like, there's always going to be Moby Dick or, you know, uh, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, no Name a that. classic. You know, like, okay. books, like, the, the good Sawyer. stuff is going to stick around all right, Forever. so let's actually, <laughs> yes. And and I am not going to argue that, you know, Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> I am never going to read it unless there's zombies in it. 
Um, and even then, I'm not going to read it, but I'll watch the I was going to say, there are zombies in it. And if you do read it, it's actually surprisingly still a lot of Pride and Prejudice. My brother started yes. reading it because he's like, oh, and zombies. And then he got like a quarter of the way through. He's like, there's still too much Regency marriage mart drama. I'm <laughs> yeah. out. I don't care how many zombies you put in here. <laughs> but you bring up a good point. But what I think the points you're bringing up are the exceptions. These are the exceptions to the rule. Because for every classic you can name... I can Google a thousand books at the same time oh, yeah. that I didn't mean, like, make it. Sure. I just um, – do games die? Yes, they all die. And I think sometimes publishers putting out more content for them can revive them. But sometimes it does not matter how much content you pump out. No one's going to like the game anyway. Eventually, they, they all die. They all die. So we all are gonna, games die. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, we are there it pivot. is. We are going to pivot into games that don't die in just a moment, Um, because as much as I want to say all games die, we know that that's not the truth for now. Right now, there are games that have not died, and we don't know why. We've done entire episodes on them, because they just won't die. And you can almost say Magic the Gathering has become like the most modern one. games, I guess that's... Yeah, exactly. Confusing. Monopoly is is a good example of a modern game modern-esque game that just won't die. No matter how much we, as a hobby, we want Monopoly to die. It's not going to. It's never going to die. People love Monopoly. They just do. I don't want do. Monopoly to die. Well, I'm not saying all people. I'm saying some people. The Monopoly... I don't I think know. Monopoly right. is like the gateway into I, games. I also don't know how many people buy Monopoly to play Monopoly. Like, everyone asking, has Monopoly... Who, like, when is the last time someone you know has actually played Monopoly? So, fun fact. I, as, as I bring it up where I'm like, I actually, I haven't played Monopoly in a very long time. If someone said, hey, want to play Monopoly? And it was a family that wasn't really into hobbyist board gaming. Right now, today, I'd probably sit down and play Monopoly. I mean, I haven't played it in so long. I'm like, sure, let's go ahead. Let's do this. Free parking and all. Let's just, let's play Monopoly. But I've actually talked to a number of people that are like, yeah, we play Monopoly pretty much at every holiday. Like, we play Monopoly all the time. It's it's our mainstay game. And these are gamers that are saying this, but most people who play Monopoly in our hobby are closet Monopoly players. They won't <laughs> tell other people, like, no, I, I hate Monopoly. It's the worst. But I only bring it up as a game that is always – it's always relevant. It has been relevant for almost 100 years, and I don't see it going anywhere. Now, that's partly you know just brilliant marketing and making 18 neighborhood versions of the game. Um, but chess, checkers, go, backgammon, all of those games are also games that have been around forever. And Miles actually brought up, um, and I really want to do an entire episode on this at one point, uh, but poker. Essentially, poker or solitaire. It's 52-card games. Spades, hearts, euchre. I mean, some of these are regional games. But they're regional games or card games that are passed down from generation to generation that just have like a kind of a a historical... What's the word I'm looking for? Relic? No, it's 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 heirloom quality to them, right? They will keep going through generations to generations. I'm going to teach my kids how to play euchre because I learned how to play euchre, and they're going to learn how to play, you know, spades or hearts, or they're going to learn these card games because we've just done this for over like 
time after time, generation after generation. These games don't die. They're not the greatest games in the world, but they're games that like are evergreen games. They're John just mentioned nostalgic games. And this is interesting to me because they're not, they're not, you know, modern games. They're not trading card games. They're just, here's the 52 cards. Play them. Have fun. Go at it. Fletcher, you're the card game that you are going to teach your dog because Carmen doesn't want to have kids. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Probably cribbage. Yeah. And, and, and it's just like, it's how it plays. It's just ingrained in you, right? These games are immortal, practically. Now, will Monopoly hit a mortal status? Who knows? I mean, if it's still around 500 years from now, awesome. But 100 years is a pretty good run. Magic is actually a really good run for what it is as well. You know, it's been around for, what, we're going on 30 years almost? Like, that is a long time for a game like that to continue to exist. If Wizards of the Coast stopped printing Magic, though, the game would die. If there wasn't modern support for Magic, the game would die. And I'm, I'm confident of this. They're not going to do it because it's, you know, it's printing press with money on it. But I don't know. I mean, do you guys disagree? If Magic and Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! stopped being printed, would those games still live on? Not really. No. no. They would mostly die. And I just like the hardcore subset. But you need that infusion every, I don't know, year at least probably. Kitty, do you think Pokemon would live forever? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. My I don't know if it's coming across. My children are all crying. There's there's a lot going on. <laughs> well, if you want to go check out the kids, Fletcher and I will talk about Pokemon for a minute. No, I'm good. I also okay. hear a dad in there. Um, <laughs> but right. it's just gonna be loud for a while. But yeah, um yeah, I don't think um the whole point of those games is they are collectible. If there stops being something to collect, they die. Well, actually, I would argue Monopoly is another one where if they stopped printing it, it would go away. And uh, no, I I disagree. It it would go away. I disagree. I think there are some games, even if they stopped printing them, that are such um, a they have such a hold on our culture that like I may maybe it would just take a long time for them to die. I don't think like I think Pokemon Yu Gi Oh. Magic the Gathering. You stop printing those within, you know, one to five years. No one's really talking about them as much anymore. Um, Monopoly? No. It's not going anywhere. People are going to start buying them on eBay. They're going to start collecting them. Suddenly, all of the different versions, you know, are going to gain different values based on how much people care about which, you know, things they are now. And I, I don't think you can get rid of it that easily it's like the cockroach of board gaming i would i honestly i cannot imagine a point where monopoly ever goes out of print because it does sell so many copies so often i i do think if it stopped being printed it would stop having relevancy but the whole point it's like this it's the chicken and egg thing right in reverse if do i break the egg or kill the chicken (laughs) that sounds wrong but (laughs) but it's one of those things where People are going to buy Monopoly as long as Monopoly is in print. And so it's not going anywhere. Uh, card games are probably the ones that are easiest to say. You know, Texas Hold'em isn't in print. And it's also one of the youngest of the pokers, right? But even Five Card Draw, which is probably one of the oldest of pokers, it is still relevant. People are still playing this game. 
And I really want to just do a history of the tech of Texas Hold'em. I actually I'm going to Google that later um, because now everyone that's that <laughs> see is if just it's poker. interesting. Yeah, yeah. But like those games just require a deck of 52 cards. But the 52 card deck is never going to go away. It, like I just never can imagine a time for, or any reason why decks of cards would just stop existing. And as long as yeah. they don't, they exist. The games that we pass down are going to live through them without any real help. And there are some modern board games that probably fall into this category. I can't think of a lot. Like, I really, I cannot off the top of my head. Well, I mean, they just don't have the same kind of like generational build to them yet. You know, like you have to start getting the point where like, oh, my parents taught me how to play this game and then I taught my children how to play this game. Like, that's how old Monopoly is. Like, you just don't have that kind of time frame on some of these games. I mean, something like Catan. I don't see Catan really ever getting kicked out of the hobby because it is, like, the, the game that brought so many people in. It is, like, the, the first, like, hobby game that I remember everyone I knew who was, like, into this kind of thing had that game played it like if you had any interest at all that is the game that every it's like the the middle of everyone's venn diagram is Catan. yeah i guess if i was going to pick games Catan would be the top of the list uh ticket to ride pandemic and carcassonne would be probably my top four that are just going to be around for as long as they're willing to print it mm-hmm. so i think those are good polls uh, um, so Christopher asks, with Keyforge being um, a unique deck being, being the kicker, and I'm not sure how to draft. Uh, actually, no. Sorry, Christopher. Your question's not the one I wanted to, to read, um, although I, I'm going to come back to that one. <laughs> um, someone – actually, it is the question I wanted to read, but I read it as a different question in my head. So we're going to answer Christopher's question, but we're also going to answer a bonus question, which is Keyforge is going on hiatus. Keyforge, all of the sets have been in print since the beginning. So even though the original Keyforge set, um, you're still able to get. What do you guys think? Keyforge is going on hiatus. Indeterminate amount of time where we're not going to get new Keyforge sets and we're not going to see new product. Does the game, does the product out there, does it lose value? And now you can buy a, you know, Keyforge decks at a dollar a piece. Or do people like, oh, they're not printing any more decks. Are they going to gain value because it's going to come back? And this is just purely prediction, but I'm curious what you guys think. Fletcher, what do you think? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to say, I don't know, lose value. All right. Kitty? I think they're going to lose value. All right. Uh, John mentions they're going to jump up, then die. I think it might go the opposite way. I think that the prices are going to crater in the near term. As people are like, Keyforge is dead. And then when they start rumbling about, okay, we're going to come back at whatever date, I think they're going to spike back up. But I'm, I, I, I've been watching the prices and they haven't really moved because I don't think the market has reacted as much. Uh, but I'm, I'm just, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And Christopher says, Keyforge is popular, but not that popular. I agree with that. And that's really where, the community for Keyforge, especially through the pandemic, is relatively small but dedicated. And this news, if that affected that dedication, 
that's why I think the demand could drop pretty quick. People just stop buying it, and then everyone else just wants to unload it. And that's why I think it's going to probably fall before it rises. But I'm going to keep an eye out for it. And if they come down to a buck or two a deck, I'm going to pick some more up because I like Keyforge. And I think it'll come back. And if it doesn't, I'll have a lot of Keyforge and no one to play it with. So, yeah. Um, I think this is a a topic that's tricky to talk about, especially outside of the trading card game. I was going to say, I think we should have maybe narrowed it down to (laughs) trading card games versus other games. (laughs) Like, they're they're very different. And I think in the the trading card world, there is like a very definitive answer. And in other games, it's like, maybe. (laughs) Although there are games, uh, Vampire the Eternal Struggle died out in 2010. It like Whitewell said, we're not going to print this game anymore, which was still like a 15 year run for it. Um, actually, no, it was like almost 20 years, like 17, 18 years. And then eight years later, a fan run um, production company called Black Chantry uh, picked up the rights and they just released a fifth edition of the game on uh, November 2020. So, like some t- some games, they just refuse to let die. Netrunner is another one. I think uh, there's a fan community that's picked it up and refuses to let that game die. Those games aren't nearly as popular. They're they're definitely just you know you have to be a huge hardcore fan of them. But you know they could come back. Ashes came back. That was phenomenal, really. Um, Fletcher's original example of D and D, though, I think really is the <sighs> that one. I think more than anything else. Wasn't on my radar, but I think is the most valid. It's the most compare the, the one that you can compare most to collectible trading card games. Role playing games, when they stop having new content released, they tend to go away. And short of the hardcore, I have my third edition, I don't need anything else type of players. And I know those players, they're in the minority. It's always going to be the most, the newest and most relevant. And that's why these companies keep pumping out content. I don't know. I mean, Kitty, you listen to a lot of one-off podcasts for actual plays. Are mm-hmm. they playing old stuff or like one-off new stuff? Um, they've played some old stuff, but mostly new stuff, I'd say. Um, and I only listen to stuff from um the Glass Cannon Network, so I can't say what everyone out there is playing. But um, yeah, it's almost all still supported, but there are occasional ones that are you know, weird, old, kind of like, huh, like, let's try this out. But that's more of like a a novelty experience than like a, oh, this is like a game that everyone's playing kind of a thing. So I I think, you know, to be relevant, you are mostly playing stuff that's still supported because especially for a podcast, they are often like getting deals with publishers. They're either getting things for free or they're... um, you know, they're getting like perks from the publishers to get people to buy. It's like advertising. So why would you advertise something that no one can buy anymore? It's like when I asked that guy at the game store (laughs) for a recommendation (laughs) and he recommended an out of print game to me. Yeah, (laughs) You know, it's like that. That's, that's not what this is for. (laughs) Fletcher. I'm curious about your answer to Terrence's question. So you have to read the question first. Uh, Okay. Well, why don't you vamp for a second so I can read this question? <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> this is not a short you. question. <laughs> if DNC stopped making new additions, would the fans keep buying modules or sources and home baking stuff? 
So basically, if D and D stopped making new editions, oh. so you you never see another yeah. thing. And and for the sake of this question, they stop making their own modules to the game, but other you know fans and other companies might make modules for it. Would people still invest in it and keep making their own stuff? Probably. I mean, people have done the same thing with Shadow Run, so I don't see why they wouldn't do that with D and D. So I. Again, I agree that some people would do that. I would say most people would jump to whatever the newest thing is that's supported. And my example will be essentially when uh, D&D went th- from 3rd edition to 4th edition. And a lot of people considered 4th edition not D&D. They no longer played 3rd <laughs> edition. They went to Pathfinder. And then when 4th edition, for the people who were playing 4th edition D&D, when they announced there was going to be a 5th edition, 4th edition D&D almost came to a screeching halt. Nobody played it anymore. Like, that's when we started playing Pathfinder. Because I'm like, 4th edition is no longer supported. Okay, I'll go to this other game that is. 5th edition came out, and now we play 5th edition. If that game stopped being supported, we would stop playing that and use that as an excuse to jump to something else that is being supported. And you can watch trends as these games games come in and out of production that show the vast majority of the people feel the same way. And if Wizards of the Coast, if they just said all of a sudden they were just, nope, we're not doing D&D anymore, but the open gaming license is still out there, it wouldn't matter. The game would still die. It would die a little bit slower. But unless another company picked it up, changed the name, and said, now we're Wrathfinder, 5th edition (laughs) would still die. Because you have to have someone at the helm of these games to keep them... In the public eye. Otherwise, someone else will step in and, and pick up the, the slack where that was left off. It's a theory of mine, but I think that's supported with evidence as we kind of go backwards and look at like what's happened as these additions have gone away. We're now G&G, goblins and gnomes. <laughs> <laughs> Those gnomes, giant gnomes. <laughs> oh, good times. All right. Well... I really do hope Keyforge comes back, and I think it will. And if Keyforge comes back with a client that's half as good as Magic Arena, and the client is supposedly going to be done by the same group that did Magic Arena, I think Keyforge would come back stronger and better than ever. So if it takes a year off to come back like that, all the better for it. Um, There's also a slight chance that it could go away and never come back. We'll see. Like, it's, it is entirely possible. I think it's a big moneymaker for FFG, so hopefully that's not the case. But you never know. I, I, I'm, I'm cynical. I'll, I'll believe it when it actually comes back. And on that cynical note, Kitty, this is all you now. Sorry, I spaced out. I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> Something new and different for this podcast. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. If you'd like to follow us on social media, the links for Facebook and Twitter are in our show notes. Want to watch us record live? You can find a link for that in the show notes, too. Comments or questions? Email us at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons. If you'd like to be one of these wonderful people, you can find out how by visiting our website, tabletopgametalk.com, and clicking the Support Us link. And there's a link in the show notes, too. Finally, a huge thank you to our current patrons. Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, The Gift of Games, Sahara Wentworth, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Jeremy Fisher, Terrence Miltner, Sean Peck, Christopher Dong, Jennifer Engelbrecht, 
Brian Arnold, Michael Yanikowski, David Sellers, David Radke, Jason Marks, Anne Reynolds, Christopher Letko, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, Joe Rackstad, Weatherman Keith, Paul Raymer, Timothy Ben Gary, Matthew Drope, David Rank, Nicholas Lotz, Jerry Wong, C. Marie, Justin Willard, Jason Rodney, Cindy Lum, Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dong, Paz Flintham, Eric Salander, Glenn Cotter, John Williams, Sir Sully, Sir Sully Andrew Fayesh, Kamal Berth, Peter Fleming, Gary Bunker, Lightning Steve, Jim Conrad, Dan Seed, Ryan Ellett, Danita Hersey, Courtney Falk, Sean P. Kelly, Mike Smith, Caleb O'Brien, Don Gilstrap, Aaron Moore, Ron Nelson, Agnes Toth, Charles Pearson, Jesse Wheeler, Ronald Roy, Tony Simpkins, David Gardner, and Darren McClellan. And thank you to everyone who's ever been a patron. Your support means the world to us. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. So we talked about this in the pre-show, um, but I feel like I have to preface this before I, I, I make this statement. Um, fantasy football. My tight end <laughs> has 10 minutes to make a score and get me three points when I'm going to lose this week when I was favored by like 90 to one. <sighs> Everyone else is going to know. No one's going to know because they don't have no idea what my tight end is, um, who my tight end is, how tight my end is. John Maybe. Madden. <laughs> no he's he's i don't know who he is either i should he's on the raiders d waller he sucks and that's the end 